0: The devil begins early in our life by bombarding our minds with cleverly devised patterns of little nagging thoughts, doubt, fear. He moves slowly and cautiously. After all, well-laid plans take time. The devil knows he can't touch your salvation because you're a child of God bought with the blood of Christ. And no one can snatch you from your father's hands. He can't take your salvation, but boy, he can take the spring from your step and the sleep from your night and the love from your relationships. So, if I were the devil, I think I would try to take your joy. I'd try to load you with so much anxiety and fear and dread and trepidation that you couldn't sleep at night or distraction in the form of what you read and see staring at a phone or a computer for hours and hours leading life through a screen counting likes counting friends how many hearts did I get (laughs) measuring self-worth according to the number of people who looked at your instagram i would keep you so busy you'd never have time to read god's word wherever you see satan at work there's always
1: division and he loves to divide the people of god if we could only understand that we would step back from our petty differences and realize that we're just playing into the hand of our enemy whose purpose is to divide he
0: likes to split marriages. He likes to split friendships. He likes to interrupt community. Any place you sense gossip or tension or separation or hostility or unforgiveness, it smells like the devil. He, he, he dwells in the world of isolation. Loneliness is his payday. Here's what you need to understand about the nature of the devil. He's an opportunist. When you're the weakest, he's the most evil. The devil doesn't control our thoughts, but he influences our thoughts. He, he wants to whisper thoughts of fear to us so we'll accept them, and he can control our lives. Fear is the main thing that Satan uses to try to control people. How many things do you think that the enemy has stolen from you or kept you from doing just because of fear? The devil would love for you to live by fear because when you're afraid you run away fear makes you want to run away from from what you need to run to
1: satan may use people to persecute us to lie to us or cheat us or hurt us or even kill us but our real enemy lurks in the shadows of the unseen world and as long as we see people as enemies and wrestle against them We are spending our time in vain. We get focused on the people and we lose sight of where the battle is really being fought. And if we continue to do that, we will continue to lose. Good morning, Westview. How are you all today? Good. Good. I am so excited to be here with you. My name is Pastor Wayne. I am One of the pastors here at Westview Community Church, I am the discipleship pastor, and I bet you are wondering what is different today and why are things a little bit different. Well, it's because on this particular day, in the midst of this series called Spiritual Warfare, I wanted to tell you a story. Can I tell you a story this morning? Oh, can I hear you a little louder? Can I tell you a story this morning? Oh, great, great. And what better way to tell a story than an old-fashioned campfire? How about that? We are in this series, Spiritual Warfare, entitled This Means War. And today's message is The battlefield. And we'll be talking about a story that I love from the book of 2nd Kings, chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. And I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to tell you that story. And then later on when we refer to our main scripture reference for this series, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 you'll see how it all connects together amen before i say another word let's pray father we give you this day and this time for this series and we know that in the midst of all this going on in our world today we need to know how we as christians can withstand the fiery darts or arrows of the devil. And so we pray that that message is clear and concise to your audience this morning, whether they be on Facebook Live or whether they be here in our worship center. We pray all of this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. And please, if you are a guest joining us for the first time this morning, please take a moment to Again, to fill out this connect card which Pastor Brian mentioned earlier, you can leave it in the offering box towards the back of the auditorium. And we ask that if you have any questions regarding things in this series on spiritual warfare, you can fill that out as well. And you can ask questions, and we will answer them on a podcast which we've been doing throughout this series and will continue to do and the next two sermons ahead. Now, I bet you're wondering what the story is I'm going to tell this morning, aren't you? Yeah. It is one of my favorite stories. Again from Second Kings. You can write this down just so you can kinda go back over it and read it with your children later. But for our children gathered here at the front, hi. We really want you to hear this fantastic story about a special man. His name happens to be Elisha. And he is what's called a prophet. And a prophet is a special servant of God called to say the things that God wants his people to know. And Elisha was in a far away place in a far far away time place called Israel many 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 years ago and Israel had an enemy Its name was Syria was another country not too far from Israel and they kept attacking one another and fighting Israel was God's people but the Syrians were the bad people and they kept attacking God's people and in the midst of all of this going on, the king of Israel, because they had their own leader who was a king, and then the Syrians had their own leader who was also a king. Well, the king of Israel was always winning the battles against the king of Syria because the prophet, the servant of God, Elisha, would always tell the king what God told Elisha and what God would tell Elisha was the battle plans that the king of Syria kept making in private thinking no one heard him or knew what he and his commanders were planning but God hears all and knows all and sees all so God would tell Elisha and when God began to tell Elijah what would happen. Elijah would go back to the king of Israel, and he would say, the king of Syria and their troops are planning to attack you in this place, so don't go there. And so finally, the king of Syria began to realize that he was losing all of these battles. Because someone must be telling the King of Israel what's happening. When we think, boys and girls, about how God is almighty, isn't it great to know that we can depend on God to let us know what's going on around us? Isn't it great to know that God has people in our lives like our parents, our teachers, and our grandparents? who can tell us the right things to do and the right way to go. Well, that was what was happening with the king of Israel. And so here's what began to happen. The king of Syria became very angry because he knew that someone must be telling people what's going on. He knew that someone must be Revealing to the king of Israel what their battle plans were. So he said, who is it amongst my men that's giving away my secrets? One of his men said, none of us, king, but rather it is that servant of God, that prophet, Elisha. He is the one telling what's going on. He's revealing to the king of Israel everything that's happening. And so at that point, the king of Syria said, someone go find him, find Elijah, find out where he is so that I can send troops and send my army in to seize him, to capture him, and to take him away. Well, here's what ends up happening. God reveals to Elijah what's going on. And when the king of Syria sends his armies and he finds out where Elijah was, he surrounded that city where Elijah and his students were because Elijah had a student with him as well. A student that was referred to in the Bible as his servant. So here now, we have Elijah being surrounded by this foreign army. And as they surround him, it turns out that Elijah's student or servant goes out early in the morning. And he realizes they're trapped. The king of Syria has all of these forces around him. Do you think that student was scared? Yeah, he was scared. He runs back to Elijah and says, Oh, Master, what will we do? Do you want to know the rest of what happens? I'll tell you in just a little bit because I have to share with you a little bit about what the battlefield was like. Think about it for a little bit. Here was Elijah and his servant early in the morning. They look out and all around them were the sound of horses and chariots. Yeah, can you hear it? What were they going to do? The battlefield that they faced was because they were doing good. They were doing the right thing, but the king of Syria was doing the wrong thing. But God always wants us to do the right thing, don't we? Doesn't He? Yes! And so when Elisha and his servants are surrounded in this battlefield it's a lot like the battles that we face the only thing is the battlefield that was around Elisha and his servant was a physical one but the battle we face as Christians that battle is a spiritual one it's one that we can't see and unlike Elisha and his battle our enemy is unseen because he's the devil the devil's whole purpose is to get us alone and to get us to be frightened to be scared to be afraid and Elijah's servant the student was definitely afraid I wonder how many of us today feel like Elijah and that serving, where we're surrounded because the enemy, the devil he loves to attack us during different times directly sometimes he likes to attack us when we're about to move into something that God has us To do. It's in that moment when you have clarity and what God wants you to do with your life. Then Satan attacks. Or maybe for you, it's not then. Maybe for you, Satan attacks when you're the most vulnerable, when you're alone. When you're isolated, and that's when the depression sets in, or that's when the anxiety sets in, that's when the fear sets in. And you hear a voice in the back of your head saying, You're not good enough. You're not smart enough in school, maybe, or at work, or maybe that you're just too small. That's the time that Satan loves to attack us. Or other times, he attacks us when we least expect it because we are so busy with things around us, we don't even realize he's there. Sometimes, Satan's goal is to keep us fighting the wrong kinds of battles in our lives. Yeah, the battles we face at work with our coworkers or even in school with our schoolmates. Sometimes the battle we face may be just with scurrying from here to there trying to do everything we have scheduled in a week, between getting the children off to school and getting to work on time and getting that project completed, you know, or completing an assignment. All of those things become battles we fight. And in the midst of that, Satan loves it because we think that's the main battle, but it's not. Sometimes Satan wants to just, just get us off the battlefield altogether. Yeah, by trying to break us. You see, he has a couple of strategies like any good military leader in Don't get me wrong, Satan is a good military leader. He's a bad person, but he's a good tactician. He knows how to plan a battle. And so maybe he'll try to get you off the battlefield by trying to break you by illness. Maybe it's your own illness, or maybe it's the illness of your loved one, close family members, close friends. Because then you'll be so tired. You'll be so afraid of what comes next that you won't even get on the battlefield at all. Or maybe for you, his tactic is not to break you. Maybe it's to buy you, to get you so caught up in the things of this life and our lifestyle That you'll see everything else is more important. We'll even think about all the things that are connected to our lives. Everything from Facebook to Twitter to politics. Those are the type of things that are part of our lives. But Satan loves it when those things become our lives. Because then the battle never gets fought. Because he doesn't want you to know what the battle is really for. Because the battle is really for our minds and our hearts. You can get your mind off of what's really important. Then he'll keep you off the battlefield altogether. Or keep you from the real battle because... Unlike the battlefield of the world, and unlike the battlefield which Elisha and his student found themselves involved in, we don't fight to take lives. Our battle is to save lives. Yeah. That's the one thing that makes us so different as Christians, as believers, is that the world, every time it sends an army out to fight, wants to destroy the enemy by taking enough lives. But we, as Christians, are sent into the world, into that battlefield, to win lives, to win souls. And if Satan can take your eyes off of that then he stopped you dead in your tracks. I want to show you exactly what we're fighting for. Can I have the little one come up to me? Hi. This Is what we're fighting for. Yeah, our children and our grandchildren. We're fighting for them to know who Jesus is. And as long as Satan can keep us from fighting on the battlefield for our children, then he stops us cold. Thank you. That's what's so important for us all as believers is to leave a legacy behind where others believe exactly what we believe, know exactly what we know. And Satan doesn't want you to ever share that or to be so busy, to be so caught up and tied up that you never share it. You never get to share it with your children or your grandchildren or your your coworkers that you sometimes have struggles with or the family members that you sometimes disagree with. Satan would love it if you kept that disagreement going and you never share with them the news of the gospel. And so now we know what the battlefield is. It is to save souls, to save lives, to save our children and grandchildren. So now how do we fight that battle? What weapons do we use? Well, Paul gives us a whole list. But we want to focus on two this morning. Coming right right out of Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 16 and 17. I want you to hear what Paul says. And this should be up on the screen for us as well. Because here's the thing that Paul wants us to know. Listen to how powerfully he states this phrase. Above all, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and take up the helmet of salvation. Why are these two weapons so important? Because when we look at the shield, it protects our bodies from the arrows of the devil. Paul makes it very, very clear about how important the shield is because he said, above all else, don't forget this. But the shield of faith Yes, this is a physical shield, but spiritually our shield of faith is knowing that God is with us. Therefore, who can be against us? That's how powerful faith is. To believe with uncertainty is not enough. But when we believe fully, that God is with us just as Elisha believed that God was with him then we fully know that we can withstand the fiery arrows of the devil but beyond that the helmet of salvation the knowledge that not only does the armor protect my body but my head my thoughts, my mind. Because no matter whether or not it's in school where I feel defeated because of a test that I have to take or whether it's the test of life when I'm an adult and when I have to care for my own parents who once cared for me. Or maybe when I have to face up to those things that are scary. It's like a health concern. Those things are what we need to be protected from in our thought life. Because the helmet, ah, it has several pieces to it. This part is called the plume or the feathers. It's also called a crest. It lets people know who you are most importantly for us as believers it lets us know whose we are it's a symbol that we belong to Jesus then here this visor protects us from getting attacked from a blow to the head above our eyes whether we can see it or not it protects us and even our cheeks these cheek protectors are there so that if anyone tries to attack us from the side, we're covered. And even in the back, the back of the helmet has a neck guard which protects us so that someone comes behind us to try to attack us. We are covered. The power of the helmet of salvation is the knowledge that Jesus has bought me with a price, the price of his own blood. Therefore, I am his so it doesn't matter what I come up against. The helmet of salvation guarantees that I am saved and I am secure. That's what's so important. Back to our story. Because when we left off, Elijah was surrounded he and his servant by the king of Syria's army their chariots and their horses and weapons were all pointed towards Elijah and Elijah's servant said oh master what will we do now but Elijah said to him don't be afraid you see Elijah already understood about the shield of faith he had faith in his God and the helmet of salvation he knew his God saves and so Elijah says to his servant don't be afraid because they that are with us are more than they that are with them what a wonderful reminder I want you to close your eyes and imagine everyone just close your eyes for a moment and think about what Elijah was saying because what he was referring to was the fact that there were ones greater than that Syrian army that was protecting them that Elijah had people around him. Can you see it? I want you to hear the sounds of the chariots. Not from the Syrian army, but from God's army. Because Elijah prays. And as he prays, he says, Lord, open the servant's eyes so that the servant can see what I'm talking about. And now I want you to open your eyes so you can see what we're talking about. (laughs) They that are with us, the host of heaven, the angels of heaven, are far more than those who will ever be against us. Satan and his minions don't have any power over us because We have a greater force, a greater army that surrounds us even when we can't see them or hear them. (laughs) They surround us. If you can't remember anything else I've said today, if you can't remember the shield of faith or don't remember the helmet of salvation, remember Jesus. Because he's the one who equips us, because Elijah had that assurance, and every one of us as believers have that same assurance that like these little ones around me, Jesus is around and surrounding each and every one of us. Thanks so much, children. You're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen <laughs> as we get ready for our offering I yes you, can. No, you said I can yes I said um, um. then you can yes you can have the sword and a the helmet there you go <laughs> yeah you can take them both there you go thank you yeah how powerful of an example is that and a story is that yeah Doesn't that give us that reassurance? And so as we pray, remember this, that we don't fight for the victory. No, we fight from the victory. And these little ones are what our example of victory looks like. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much as we prepare to go into our offering time. We give you praise because of how great you are and because of the fact that no matter how much we feel surrounded and feel alone or feel isolated, you are always there with us. You were with Elijah and his servants. You were with Paul as he was writing to the church at Ephesus. And you're with us. And so, Father, we thank you so much that you love us, that you're protecting our little ones, and you're protecting us as well. As we prepare to go into our offering time, let us also receive from you the knowledge of how much you love us. In Jesus' name, Amen.